Amen. <laughs> I just wanted to, ch- wow, praise God. Our God is a deliverer. Our God is a strong rock. Proverbs 18.10 says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I don't know how unsafe you have felt throughout this week, um, but our God is good. Uh, yesterday I was reading a psalm, Psalm 85, I think it's verse 8. The Bible says, I will hear what the Lord will speak to me, for he will speak peace. What storm have you been through this week? What storm are you in this week? Our Jesus is in the same boat as you are. (laughs) And he knows how to stand up and say, peace, be still. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to hear you speak to us. Would you please speak peace? Thank you, God, that you have promised a peace that passes all understanding. That Jesus himself said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give unto you. And so, Lord, where the world wants to give and and expect something in return, Lord, you are the, the God who gives and gives and gives again. Father, we want to be broken today upon the rock of Jesus Christ so that your spirit can put us all back together. We pray, Father, that as we open up the Bible today, we would truly hear the voice of the living God. This is our heart's desire. In Jesus' name, let the family say, amen. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew. Matthew chapter 5. We're starting a new series this, this month. Matthew chapter 5 will kind of be Uh, I guess you could say it'll give the framework. It'll give the framework for our new series. The series is called Contagious Christianity. Contagious Christianity. It's it's actually a book title, Becoming a Contagious Christian, a book title from a couple decades ago. Um, But it's it's still a relevant uh, concept because I believe Jesus wants us to be contagious Christians. Now, it's that time of season, that time of year, Uh, Maybe when the sugar runs high, (laughs) Uh, change in weather, Kleenex supply is at an all-time high, right? Yeah? Uh, Things are a little contagious. You sneeze here, you sniffle there, stay away from me, right? (laughs) Um, Or maybe you've been reading all about the Ebola virus, and I don't want to make light of that at all. This is uh, probably the biggest uh, Ebola outbreak that history has recorded. Um, over 4,000 plus um, <clears throat> infected and out there, uh, not just in West Africa, but, uh, but globally. Uh, things, things are contagious. When things are contagious, they're likely to spread, right? They're likely to affect others by contact, whether direct or indirect. But you know what? It's not just uh, negative things that are contagious. When someone has a really big smile on their face and you want to know why, Eventually, that becomes contagious, right? <laughs> when someone chuckles, that, that, that simple laughter can somehow have a domino effect. In fact, um, I, I was watching a, a, a little video clip the other day, and just on a, a public transit system, a subway, there was just someone taking a video of someone who was chuckling. And I thought this video was, was rigged, but I'm not, I, I don't know how, how it all worked out. But one person is chuckling, and then this, uh, this person is laughing at the person's laugh. You know, that, anyways, the whole subway is eventually laughing out loud. Um, there are things in this world that are contagious. They're likely to spread. And I'm wondering, 
Is your Christianity contagious? Is my Christianity contagious? Where are you? Are you in Matthew chapter 5? If you're there, say amen. Amen. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is talking about those who follow him, those who are a part of his kingdom. And we're not going to go into great depth into this passage just now. This is kind of a long introduction to our series that we're starting for this month. So we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. So if you're taking notes, you can write that down. Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And I'm reading from the New King James Bible. Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to people who want to be a part of his kingdom. And he says to them, you are the what? Salt of where? Of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. In verse 14, Jesus gives them another label. What is it? You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify who? Your Father who is in heaven. Jesus gives us two labels, and like I said, we're going to go into these in detail more uh, on a later week. But he calls us salt and he calls us light, and he says, you're the salt of Uh, this little piece of land. Is that what the Bible says? No, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of this corner of the universe. No, you are the light of the world. This is really amazing when you think about this. And what caught my attention is that I, as I hear what Jesus is saying and he's looking at his followers, he's actually diagnosing the earth. He's saying that the earth is in need of salt. Do you you hear the implication there? He's diagnosing the world and he's saying the world is in need of light. What is salt for in a world, in a society in which there's no refrigeration? What is salt for? It's a preservative, right? It halts the process of decomposition. So when Jesus looks at followers of him and he looks at the world in which they live, he says, this world is dying, you preserve it. When he looks at the world and he diagnoses it, he says, this world is dark. You illumine it. Jesus looks at the condition of this world and he says, there need to be contagious Christians. Because this world is dying. This world is deathly cold. And it needs salt and light. Time is short. Are you contagious? This morning, as we start this series, the series is really going to answer this question of how to, uh, what are the practices of a contagious Christian? But before we look at the practices of a contagious Christian, we want to know what it is to be a contagious person, himself or herself. So before we look at how we're going to do this, we're going to look at who Jesus is calling us to be. Does that make sense today? That's going to be our starting point. That's going to be our starting point. So what is it that makes a, what make, is it that makes a Christian contagious in the first place? Okay? And so today is part one, contagious Christianity, part one, the heart of the matter. We're looking at motivation. Why even be contagious in the first place? All right? So today what we're going to do now is we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Because I believe, in my mind, this is one of the clearest passages that answers the question of why we do what we do. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 14. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, when you're there, say, I'm there. All right. 2 Corinthians 5, this is written by Paul, and like I said, it's one of the clearest verses, one of the clearest uh, explanations of what motivates and what uh, is the impetus behind someone's sharing of the gospel, someone's reflecting of the light of Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, this is Paul writing, and really in the context, he's, he's really talking about his own ministry, why he does what he does. People are doubting, hey, Paul, are you just out here to, uh, to, to earn money? You know, are you, are you just out here peddling and, and meddling? And what, what are you trying to do? And Paul is writing, no, 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 no. <laughs> here is why I do what I do. This is the motive, and in verse 14, he makes it plain as day. The New King James says this, For the love of Christ compels us. If there's any question of why Paul is doing what he's doing, why Paul is is exerting his energy, why Paul is sacrificing his life, essentially, for the sake of the gospel, he says, For the love of Christ compels us. And then he goes on to explain what that love is, is really entails. He says, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, who is he speaking of? Jesus. If Jesus died for all, then all died. In other words, his sacrifice has, has, has universal implication. He has put everybody in, on the same plane. There's potential for living in Christ. And he explains it in verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Do you know the love of Jesus today? Paul did. And he said the love of Christ compels us. I want to zero in on that phrase alone. The love of Christ compels us. Maybe if you remember your pathfindering days, uh, you remember that the the whole motto of the pathfinder was the love of Christ constrains us. That's the the King James reading of it. The love of Christ constrains. Now let's talk about this. The love of Christ. What is the love of Christ? Now, maybe you have the NIV. Does anybody have the NIV? How does it read in the NIV? Does anybody have it? Okay, I'll recite it because I read it earlier. Okay, (laughs) it says this, Christ's love compels us. Now, I'm going to get a little bit geeky here, okay? A little bit nerdy on Greek grammar here. All right, so in Greek grammar, love of Christ, this can be understood in two ways, okay? The love of Christ could be a, my love for Christ, okay? That's, That's making Christ the object of my love, the very thing that my love is set upon, okay? But there's a second way of reading this, and that's where Christ is the subject. He's the the active agent of it. In in other words, instead of my love towards Christ, he's the object. Instead, Christ is the subject where it's Christ's love. Christ's love for humanity. Do you see the difference, or am I just like, yeah? Okay, okay. So here's the point. Here's the point. When, When Paul is saying, look, I do ministry because of Christ's love, He's not just saying, I do ministry because of my love for Christ. Yeah, I could care less about people, (laughs) you know, I I really don't like them, but I love Jesus, and so out of my love for Jesus, I'm going to serve people. No, that's not what Paul is saying. Yes, our love for Christ ought to motivate that, but Paul's emphasis is, first of all, this is Christ's heart. This is Christ's precious possession. Why? not be moved 
for the world. And so here Paul is saying this is Christ's love for humanity. And this, he says, is what compels us. Now that word is significant in itself. You look it up in a Greek dictionary, a Strong's Concordance or whatever, the word compel, it actually has an aggressive sense behind it. Uh, sometimes it, it's, uh, one translation puts it, the love of Christ controls us. Even in the King James, when you hear that, constrains us, there's kind of this gripping sense about it. In fact, sometimes that word, the very same word, is used to talk about how diseases have afflicted us. So what Paul is really saying is that Christ's immense and infinite love for humanity has infected us. He's become contagious. And it has so overwhelmed him that he is seized by this power of a great affection. He can't do anything but share the gospel. He can't do anything but be the salt of the earth and but be the light of the world. The love of Christ compels him. And so here Paul is saying, look, when you come down to it, what is the motive? What is the heart? It's the very heart of God. So contagious Christians, first and foremost, if you're taking notes, contagious Christians are compelled. Contagious Christians are compelled by the love of Jesus. Question this morning is, do we have the love of Jesus? Or maybe I should say it like this, do we have the heart of God? See, motivation is big. Are we motivated? Are we moved by his infinite love for humanity to share the gospel with the lost? Or are there other motivations at play? Maybe the question, oh, I'll get a little bit more specific. When it comes to the idea of me, of you sharing the gospel, what is it that will actually get you out the door? <laughs> is it because you know it's the right thing to do? Or is it because you'd feel guilty if you didn't? Or is it because everybody else is doing it, why not do it too? <laughs> All of those are motivations, but I would say they ought not to be the primary motivation. In fact, you might even say they'd be improper motivations. In other words, Paul wants us to get to the heart of the matter. Contagious Christians are genuine in that they are truly motivated by the only worthy motive, the love of Christ for humanity. And the heart of God that loves humanity such that it sees infinite value whether or not they see infinite value in him. This is the heart of God. You think about it, those things that have value to you are the things that you search for when they're lost. Isn't that true? You may, be lose, you may have misplaced a paper clip. Oh well, I'll find another one, right? But when you misplace your car keys, that's a different story, right? <laughs> you know, the other day, uh, Jenna, she's got this, um, she's got this, I, I wouldn't call it a doll, I'd call it a it's, a, it's a big, what is it? It's a lamb? Yeah. What is it? Stuffed lamb. There you go. It's a big lamb. It's not a real lamb. It's a stuffed lamb. Anyway, <laughs> she calls it popcorn, and she dresses it and all this stuff. It's really cute. She, sometimes she sleeps with it, right? And the other night, Jenna was asking me, hey, where's popcorn? Somehow she misplaced it in all her playing. I, th I think it's in, probably in one of our little hideouts and stuff. 
But, you know, she asked the question, it was about time for bed. We didn't do very much to go around looking for it. Now, a toy doll that's missing is a much different scenario than if your very own child was missing. Right? If a toy doll is missing, you'd look in a corner, you'd look in that corner, oh well, we'll try again tomorrow. If your own child was missing, you would not sleep, you would not eat until you found your child again. In the heart of God, he sees such value in humanity that is much more than a stuffed lamb. <laughs> he cannot stop until he finds us. And Paul is essentially saying that love of Christ, the love that belongs to Christ and is towards humanity, that is what compels us. Or at least it ought to. Wow, this is heavy. This is heavy because it's heart-searching, right? Uh, This gets to the heart of the matter. And so the point is, the same love that Christ has for humanity ought to be the compelling force in all of our efforts to share the gospel. In fact, I'll just read something from the Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. It's a little book on the, the Sermon on the Mount. It says this, page 36 and then again page 38. It says, the savor of the salt, so the flavor of the salt, It represents the vital power of the Christian, and this is the vital power of the Christian right here, the love of Jesus in the heart. She essentially makes the equation very clear to us. What is that vital power of salt? Well, it's it's the vital power of the Christian, i.e., the love of Jesus in the heart. It says this, the love of Christ is diffusive and aggressive. I love that. If it is dwelling in us, it will flow out to others. It is this and this only that can make us the salt of the earth. This only, the love of Christ. If there is any other compelling force in our lives, you are not salty. You may be salt, but you've lost your flavor. That is the only thing, the love of Jesus. That is the only thing that can halt the putrefaction of the world. That is the only thing that can cast the shadows of this dark and cold place. The love of Jesus in the heart. In fact, I remember growing up in high school when I started actually cracking open the book Desire of Ages. If you haven't read the book Desire of Ages, I encourage you to read this. The book Desire of Ages, there was one quote that really stood out to me. It's on page 641. And she says this, When we love the world as Christ loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. Wow. Think about that. When we love the world as Christ loved it, then for us his mission is accomplished. The very next sentence says, we are fitted for heaven, for we have heaven in our hearts. Wow, to love the world as Christ loved it. That would be amazing, some of us say. Maybe some of us are thinking, that is impossible. (laughs) And the truth of the matter, apart from Jesus, it is impossible. So how does this happen? How do we actually adopt the love of Jesus? I mean, it's not like we can just go over here and flip the switch and say, now I love the world as Christ loved the world. How does that happen? How does that happen? May I submit that the only way we can be compelled by the love of Jesus is if we are converted by the love of Jesus. Conversion. Here's the key if you're writing down notes. Okay, the contagious Christian is the compelled Christian. The compelled Christian is the converted Christian. When we are truly converted, that is, when this self-centered heart 
is truly transformed, not just modified, not just made pretty by some makeup here. No, no, no. When it's overhauled, when it's converted. Case in point, Peter. Let's just take his life as an example, okay? When you think of Peter, you might think of all sorts of stories, right? He was like the king of foot and mouth syndrome, right? Okay? But when I think of Peter, some of the very first things I think of are his, the stories of Peter in the book of Acts. Peter was a contagious Christian. In Acts chapter 2, he stands up and preaches for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people respond and say, I want to be baptized. That's a contagious Christian, okay? In Acts chapter 5, he's walking around, and people want to get in his shadow so they can be healed from their disease. That's a contagious Christian. In Acts chapter 10, he's talking to some people in a household from a different nation, a different country. He's never met them before. But in Acts chapter 10, verse 44, when, while he is still speaking, those who heard the word, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. That's a contagious Christian, okay? But wait a minute. How did Peter get that way, right? What was the secret? What was the difference maker, the, the king of foot and mouth, to now, whoa, when he speaks, people are turned. When he walks, his shadow heals. What in the world? What's the difference maker? Go with me to Luke. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 32. I want to take Peter as just kind of a case study for the rest of this time that we have together. Luke chapter 22. And notice what's going on as Jesus is talking to this yet-to-be-converted disciple, okay? Luke chapter 22 is the third gospel, third book of the New Testament. When you're there, say amen. amen. How did Peter do it? Or maybe I should say, what happened to Peter? Luke chapter 22. And in verse 31, Jesus is speaking straight to Peter. Jesus says, in verse 31, the Bible says, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, that was his other name, right? Peter was kind of the nickname that Jesus had given him. Simon, Simon, calls him out twice, tries to get his attention. Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. You are in Satan's crosshairs, brother. There is something serious com coming down the pike. And in verse 32, Jesus doesn't say, ah, so I've given up on you, you're a lost case. No, look at verse 32. But I have prayed for you. Do you ever find great comfort when there's like this certain person that just kind of comes up and says, hey, look, I've been praying for you all week. Can you imagine the Son of God saying, sister, my child, my, son, my daughter, I've been praying for you. You know what? You don't have to imagine that. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, the Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost because he always lives to make intercession for you. If you ever wonder what Jesus lives for, he lives to pray for you. <laughs> Jesus says to Peter, who is on track to just being a lost case, and he says, I have prayed for you, verse 32 continues, that your faith should not fail. And here's the clincher. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When you have, what does your Bible say? Returned, okay. Some, some Bibles say turned to me. 
some say, when you are converted. You know, there's a sermon that Peter actually preaches in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, and he makes this appeal. He says, repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When he says be converted, it's the same word that Jesus uses when you have returned to me. So Jesus says, look, Peter, bro, I, I've, been, I've been praying for you. I know my prayers will be answered. So when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. So here's what clicks in my mind. Peter, the only condition that made him able to strengthen his brothers, the only condition that made him able to feed the lambs, to establish work, to preach the gospel, and to make disciples, was when he returned to Jesus. I.e., when he was converted. Conversion was the clincher. So what happened between Luke chapter 22, the, 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 the Peter, or excuse me, the Luke version of Peter, and then the Acts version of Peter? What, what, no, how, did, how did all that happen? Well, Jesus says that somewhere along the line, Peter, you're going to be converted. And so from that point on, if you just kind of skim through Luke chapter 22, chapter 23, chapter 24, and then go to the book of Acts, you know, actually, the book of Acts is also written by Luke. Did you know that? And so the book of Acts is kind of Luke part two, okay? So really, it's, it's one gospel, so to speak. And so what we see here is the conversion story of Peter. And Peter goes from this point, he hears, what, what, I, I'm, I'm going to deny you? No way! I'll go, I'll go, I'll die for you! And just a few hours later, as Jesus has been arrested and is standing before the high priest, Caiaphas, over and over, they're mocking him. They're, they're accusing him of this and that. Jesus isn't fending for himself. He's just kind of letting the silence be the witness. And here's Peter huddling by a fire. And he's denying the one that he's supposed to die for. And you see, as you continue to skim through Luke chapter 22, the Bible says that Peter denies Jesus three times. And it only dawns on him that Jesus told him that just a few hours earlier. It dawns on him when he hears the cock crow. And I think it's actually in Luke's, only in Luke's version of this story. Where is it? Luke chapter 22, and in verse, uh, verse 60, 60 and 61, it says this, But Peter, are you there? Luke 22, verse 60. Are you there? The Bible says, But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. In verse 61, this is, Luke is the only one that puts this in here. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. The Lord turned and looked at Peter. And in that look was not a look of anger, but a look of sorrow and pity. It wasn't a look of, I told you so. It was a look of compassion and endless forgiveness. Brother, do you know me? And as Peter looked, it says, verse 61, Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. In verse 62, so Peter went out. He went out of Caiaphas' court. He went out of that courtyard. And what did he do? The Bible says he wept bitterly. 
And again, when you read the, the, the account in Desire of Ages, Desire of Ages paints this picture where Peter is so heartbroken. What in the world have I just done? His eyes are tear-stained and tear-filled, and he's just going out to find some place. He doesn't know where. He doesn't care. And he ends up finding himself in a place he's been before, at the Garden of Gethsemane. And on the same ground where he is shedding tears of remorse and sorrow, it is the same ground that just a few hours earlier, his Savior had sweat drops of blood. And Peter had been there too, falling asleep. Yes, but he had been there. And it was on the same ground in which Jesus, when he had a choice between saving lost humanity or saving his own existence, Jesus chose humanity. Do you realize that Jesus loves us more than he loves his own existence? When the Bible says, when he told his disciples there coming to the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to the point of death. He wasn't talking about his body failing him from energy or being, I wish I had something to eat. No, he's saying my soul, my very existence is being crushed. And it was upon the same ground where Jesus was being crushed for our sin that Peter, I believe, was being converted to the Savior. And there he wept bitterly. And from there he sees Jesus on Calvary. From there, he doesn't see Jesus in the empty tomb. He sees him risen in the upper room. In short, what happened to Peter? From, from the Luke version of Peter to the Acts version of Peter. Peter saw Jesus. Peter saw Jesus high and lifted up. And in John chapter 3, verse 14, when Jesus has an opportunity to explain to this guy Nicodemus the, the inner workings of conversion, the inner workings of how to be born again, he simply refers to an Old Testament story, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. You remember that story? Everybody was being bitten by these fiery serpents, and they thought, how am I supposed to be helped? I'm dying here. And Moses makes this bronze serpent just lift it up. Hey, everybody, if you look, you're going to be healed. How is that supposed to help me? But by faith they looked, and when they looked, they lived. And in John chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus tells Nicodemus this very simple recipe for conversion. Look and live. And Peter, from the blood-stained ground of Gethsemane to the foot of Calvary, to the empty tomb, and then the upper room, Peter looked and lived. And Peter's heart, that was all about self-preservation, me, myself, and I, he began to be compelled. <laughs> compelled by the love of Christ. I want to be compelled too. How about you? <laughs> so back to the beginning. Do you want to be a contagious Christian? Good. Why do you want to be a contagious Christian? Well, because it's the right thing to do. No, that's the legalistic heart. Well, because I'd, be feel, I'd feel guilty if I wasn't contagious. No, that's the fear-driven heart. 
Well, because w- when I influence somebody and help them see the light bulb, it just makes me feel all good. And, no, that's still the selfish heart. Why do you want to be a contagious Christian? <laughs> because of the love of Christ compels me. That is the response of the converted heart. Are we following today? Yes or no? Yeah? Friends, I need to hear this sermon uh, just as much as maybe the next person over, but I long to be a contagious Christian, but I long to be contagious for the right reasons. (laughs) Because the love of Christ is so overwhelming for you and for me that nobody is left out of that picture. I am moved and seized by the power of this great affection. So today, as we take this this idea of the love of Christ compelling us, what is the next step? Where do we go from here? You want to be contagious? You want to be compelled? Then be converted. That's it. How do I be converted? Well, let me practically suggest this. Because I I could easily just say what Jesus said, and that would be a a sufficient answer. Look and live, right? (laughs) Look and live. How about this? Let's make this real practical. This week, if you long to seek conversion, take time this week, each day this week. You set the time, you set the time of day. Take time to read a portion from Luke 22 to 24. Does that sound easy enough? Walk the same ground that Peter walked. Go to the blood-drenched floor of Gethsemane. Go to to the, the foot of Calvary. Go to that empty tomb. Go to the upper room. Be filled with the love of Christ. So Luke 22 to 24, take a portion of that each day this week. Or maybe read through those three chapters every day this week. Or maybe you want to pick up a copy of Desire of Ages, and if you don't know where to find one, I can totally help you with that. You want to pick up a copy of Desire of Ages, if you have the app or whatever, or just go online, you can look up chapter, I think it's chapter 78, it's called Calvary. Beautiful. In other words, look and live, okay? Look and live. How many of you are willing to take time each day this week to look and live? How many of you are willing to do that? Amen. Praise God. Watch out, because you just might be converted. <laughs> be converted, right? Here's the second one. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tag this one on. This doesn't seem related at all to, to the Bible study, but it is, okay? Here's the second one. You've got some sort of, some piece of paper in front of you, whether it's your bulletin or maybe just pull out an offering envelope. I don't know. Okay, some sort of piece of paper, and I want you to write down an impact list. Three people, three people who are either unbelievers, who have no idea of the love of Jesus, who who have no idea of the gospel or the everlasting gospel as it is in the three angels' messages. Three people. Maybe maybe it's just one. I don't know. Maybe it's two. Just, Just max out at three. Focus this week. Each day this week. Pray for that impact list. I thought about calling it the infectious list, but I didn't think that would be nice. So, so an impact list each day this week. And here's what we're going to do. As we continue this series to the end of November, you're going to have those three that you're praying for each day, each day, each day. Does that sound like a good idea? Does that sound doable to you? Yeah? 
all right, watch out. You just might be converted. (laughs) And watch out. You just might be contagious. Friends, I believe it's high time that there are Christians who are not just Christians in name, that there are Christians who are not just Christians one day of the week, that there are Christians who are not just Christians sitting in a pew, that there are Christians who are contagious and who are saving a dying and dark world. God, help us. God, help us to be converted. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you that ultimately you are the saving agent. And by the miracle of conversion and transformation, you actually want to dwell in us and bring us as part of your team. And in your infinite wisdom, you want us to be saving agents too. Oh Lord, we are praying not just to be contagious. God, we are praying first and foremost to be converted. God, we pray that this commitment to read from Luke 22 to 24 or just uh, some portion of Desire of Ages uh, focused on the cross, Lord, we are asking that you would guard that time for us. Lord, specify in our minds right now what time of day and for how long. Lord, make this very, very concrete. We want to be converted. We want to look and live. So Lord, we're praying this for ourselves. We're praying this for for the person in the pew next to us. We're praying this for each person on that impact list. Lord, if we haven't even come up with one name right now, I pray that your Holy Spirit would put so heavily upon our hearts one name that we can pray for each day this week. Thank you, Father, that you long to seek and save and make it our longing to seek and save the lost too. In Jesus' saving name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. God bless you, friends. If you're looking for special prayer, There's a small group that meets right here in the the room to my left, your right, for, for a season of prayer. God bless you.